Hey, welcome to Optimize Your Body with Martin Silva, where we talk raw, uncut facts to truly help you optimize your body. Hey guys, before we get this podcast rolling, I would like to let you know that I have some slots available for my online coaching packages, whether your goal is just to get in shape or if you were looking to get on stage and compete, you know, as a bikini model or physique athlete, bodybuilder, please reach out and give me an email at admin at optimizeyourbody.com. So send an email to admin at optimizeyourbody.com. Also, to go get your free recipe ebooks and your free training plan, just head over to my current website, martin-silver.co.uk, martin-silver.co.uk. And all you have to do is enter your email address into the pop-up box to receive. Enjoy. Hey, guys. So I am here with a new guest today, and she goes by the name of Jessica Hickman. And she runs her own company, which goes by the name of Bullyology. And I actually met her in the gym where I'm based in in Sydney. And it turns out she is from Wales, which is, you know, 15,000 miles away. She's from the same country as me, the land of my father's, right? So it's great to actually um, to have someone on the podcast from Wales for the first time, but also she has a very, very gripping story behind her and she's making some, she's making a huge impact on, uh, in the space of mental health and, uh, bullying and stuff like that, obviously in the, uh, the work environments and with children. So anyway, um, how are you doing today, Jess? Hey, I'm really well. Thank you very much. Good. So can you just tell the listeners a little bit more about your story, please? Yeah, of course. So um, I'm from Wales, as you just mentioned. Came to Australia in 2013, like a lot of people from Wales. Young, ambitious backpacker. Damn right. Um, Yeah, age 23. Um, My background in the the UK was youth work. So I've been running a lot of uh, mental health and youth-based programs in the UK. At uh, 23, I needed a career break, obviously. Mm. (laughs) Um, So look, I came for three months and six years later, I'm still here. But during my time here, even though it's been one of the best experiences of my life and Australia is home, it has also been one of the most challenging. And that was suffering three and a half years worth of workplace bullying. So no one prepared me when I was younger and told me that when you step into the workplace, you may suffer extensive bullying. And as an adult, it's kind of a hard thing to admit that I did suffer bullying. And yeah, so... I picked up a job in Darwin in the oil and gas industry. Um, first day on the job, I was sat in induction. Um, my position was HR. Brilliant opportunity. I went from being a backpacker to suddenly being in this high-paid job, company car, an apartment, you know, working at a corporate before I was sent to Darwin. So, you know, everything seemed perfect. But day one in that induction, the buzzword was suicide. And unfortunately, it was men in construction industry in Australia, there's a really high rate of suicide. Um, so yeah, look, that shocked my system and I couldn't stop thinking about it. So I decided um, to make it my mission during my time on that project to really work on mental health programs. So I was going from strength to strength, winning lots of awards, being portrayed positively in the media for my culture programs. And more importantly, you know, people were using the mental health program But behind the scenes, I was suffering extensive workplace bullying. My HR manager didn't like the success or kind of the popularity that I was getting. So my life on the outside was perfect. But behind the scenes, I was really at my lowest point. Wow. Yeah. So I'd just like to ask you, uh, delve a little bit deeper into that, because you mentioned about mental health being, you know, it's pretty much an epidemic right now. And, you know, it's rife. And I think the stats are pretty crazy. I think one in two people here in Australia will suffer from some form of whether it's depression or anxiety or any mental health ailment at some point in their life. And I believe one in five people are currently struggling with this silent killer, I call it, you know. Um, And yeah, so based on your experience, you know, with the uh, with what you experienced in 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 Darwin, not. Not, without going too much into the bullying stuff just yet, but just from the projects you were working on, you said you observed that it was quite a problem, mental health, yeah? So yeah. 
how what were the first kind of indicators for you? How did you start noticing that? Was it um, was it was it obvious or was it something you started picking up on in other ways? Both, really. Mm-hmm. You know, on day one in the induction, we uh, were told that you know mental health was rife in the industry, especially when men in construction. And that sparked an interest in me to kind of, as part of my role, really explore, you know, why aren't mental health concerns and issues reported in males? And in particular in the construction industry, the industry I was working in um, was a fly-in, fly-out industry. So um, in Australia, it's really common. People will fly four hours away and live on camps a month on, a week off. And that's certainly what the workforce I was working with was doing. And that comes with a long stream of consequences I guess when you're living in a confined environment away from your family and friends for periods of time not only are you doing high risk work trades scaffoldings welding um and obviously working in Darwin in Crocodile country you know it's got extreme weather conditions it's very hot and humid there's two seasons which is hot and really hot Mm -hmm. um hot and wet so you know it was a really tough environment for anyone and and obviously when guys in particular are living in big camps, I think, and especially in like their confined, they call them dongas, which are small rooms, you know, small tiny rooms, it's probably as big as this studio we're in. Um, you become lonely and guys close off. Not only are you knocking off from your shift, you know, and there's only the kind of thing to do is alcohol. When you're on holidays or tour with the boys, the boys mm-hmm. clubs, men sit around and have sometimes many, too many beers. And, you know, that spirals where people are away from home. The communication was pretty poor. So on the flip side, and, you know, I do say men in particular in this because that was the majority of men I was working with. Um, You know, the wife's at home with a partner, running the household, probably working a full-time job, looking after the kids. Relationships are strained. And obviously then when you go home from your month on the oil and gas plant, you know, sometimes dad is a stranger, And family life is disrupted. Not only does the mum or dad, you know, want to kind of say, hey, look, here's the kids. It's my time to take a break now. I've been running the house. And often the person that returns from that high intensive labour just wants to go to the pub or gamble or drink. Um, So there were so many relationships that I seen fall apart. And, you know, me working on there 60 hours a week, 60, 70 hour weeks in this high environment, you know, high risk environment. It is tough. And there was times when I was just really questioning my own mental health. And that was aside from the bullying. You know, it it is tough physically and mentally on the body. And that obviously causes some long term effects. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I'd just like to talk a little bit more before we go into exactly what happened through your, you know, um, suffering essentially is what it was. How do you actually, how do you define bullying? Like, how would you explain to the listeners how, because there must be different levels for a start. And, you know, I believe, you know, like harassment, for example, or, or assault could maybe be one, just one thing which happens one occasion, which someone you know, they struggle with and, you know, they have to, they have to, it's traumatic for them in one way or another. But then bullying, I guess, is more of a continuous kind of emotional and mental as well as sometimes physical as in your case. So anyway, just to cut it short, how would you define bullying, you know, in the work environment anyway, and even maybe in, in, in a children's environment? It's a really important topic and that's what I really focus on, on my within my work is what is bullying and what is not bullying. So bullying is repeated and it's intentional with the intent to harm the other person, whether it's psychological, physically, mentally. Um, you know, it's, it is intentional and it is repetitive. It's an ongoing campaign to belittle the other person. So if you do fall out with someone at work or your neighbour or kids fall out all the time, I think we're quick especially parents, to jump on at the school or, you know, flip out that my kid is being bullied or, you know, I'm being bullied, especially in the workplace. If you're being performance managed, for example, people often cry that they're being bullied. Um, So it's important to know that, you know, people do fall out. And if it's once or twice or you argue or disagree, because as humans we do that, that's not necessarily bullying. Bullying is repeated intentional and you know repetitive mm. it's continual it's, <clears throat> it's attacks ongoing all the time mm. yeah and i was just going to say on that on that note with the actual bullying side of it 
with kids, for example, yeah. So when I was, I remember when I was a kid, I was getting bullied at one point when I was really young. And then my stepdad at the time told me, my mum was always, you know, tell the teachers and do it, do it the right way kind of thing. And that wasn't working. So then my stepdad at the time, you know, as, as guys kind of the way guys want to solve it, he said just to hit the guy back. So I hit him back and um, I got done then. The teachers um, teachers weren't happy that I hit someone, obviously, but it, it, it temporarily solved the situation. I wasn't, I didn't get bullied by the guy ever again anyway, but obviously I know that's not the right way to go about, right? So what I'm trying to get at is, as a, as a parent, I know you're not a parent, but you know, you've obviously spoken, dealt with a lot of this. As a parent, how would you think it, they, they, you know, what's the best kind of methods do you think for them to use for their kid who is potentially getting bullied? Yeah, so it's going to be around education. It's about equipping youths with resilience and understanding coping mechanisms as well. So for me personally, like I never expected the bullying to happen so I wasn't equipped with it and I wasn't able to even identify that I was being bullied even as an adult and um, for parents it's important to have them conversations from a young age to say like this is if you are being bullied this is what you need to do and you know we do want them to tell a teacher but often kids don't want to be called like cleck as we call it in Wales or grassing Um, but you know building that strong relationship with your child so they can trust you and I think trust comes with not reacting or overreacting to the situation like you've told your parents Mm -hmm. yeah and obviously you've told your stepdad and kids often are frightened to tell their parents because you know the stepdad or the the dad the mum whoever can run around and knock on that door of that child. Yep. I remember when um, I was younger and one of the boys in school kicked me down the stairs, you know, just messing around. And my dad um, went around. I remember very clearly, I was awfully embarrassed. My dad went around there banging his dad's door. You know, boys can't kick girls. Yeah. And I can remember, you know, no one was messing with me after that. Yeah. But p- kids can be f- um, frightened of their parents react- reacting and also making the situation worse, mm. especially in teenagers. They get really embarrassed. Um, so look, you want to build that mutual trust and have a cool collective approach, not rush down the school, kind of collect the facts, ask your child, is it repeated? Is this ongoing? And often parents react and run down the school and often become bullies themselves, kicking off at the teacher, shouting at you know, at the teacher. Mm. So it's important to kind of like have that conversation that they can trust you and they'll come to you again and report different stuff. Mm. Oh, great. So yeah, I kind of jumped the gun a little bit, but yeah, it'd be good if you could give the audience more of an insight into exactly what happened in your situation with the bullying. And Mm. yeah, just, you could just run through the whole kind of process if you don't mind. Yeah, it's a big, long process. I have, right. I have got a book out. Um, it's called The Bullyologist Breaking the Silence on Bullying. And that kind of really dives deep into the nitty gritty of the story. But look, day one of my bully being promoted to manager, he'd kind of seamlessly fitted into the workforce before that. He'd been brought in as a manager on a different part of kind of the project I was on. So I had had connection with him. I trained him etc he'd kind of built a relationship with with me over the 12 weeks he was there um knew a lot about me and obviously had been observing me because day one when he was promoted to be HR manager he pulled me into the office and kind of threatened me um asked me did I want to work for him and if not there would be the door he would get his own staff in and it took me by surprise it then went on to kind of um not really understand how I'd be successful so accused me of flirting flirting with people um spreading rumors about me asking me to do untoward tasks which was creating fake Facebook account to stalk the men he was awful paranoid when people were off sick so the kind of request to do inappropriate things, um, which was, you know, unethical outside of my job role, um, asking me to go over to certain conversations and listening to what they're doing, to then accuse me of, of yeah, just being unprofessional. He started to question my competency. Um, I would then question kind of some of the things that he was doing. So for me, I had a big focus on culture and providing a nurturing workplace Um, his mentality was that if someone isn't competent to do their job, whether they're suffering personal or mental health issues, to manage them out of the workforce, other words, sack them. So for me, that kind of um, heavy-handed management approach to dealing with sensitive topics, we clashed heads. So 
The bullying went on for three and a half years to the point where it escalated to um, him physically throwing a file at me. There would be me and you know, six, seven other managers in a room at a time. Um, he would downgrade me, kind of swear under, the, under his breath. Um, a long list of things where in the end the other managers would say, hey, you two, can you stop arguing? You know, it's a personality clash. So I knew then to a certain point that this really wasn't okay, especially when I was noticing him bullying other people. And eventually we started to lose good people because of his behaviour. And me being the person I am, I still done my job to a high standard till eventually um, I ended up in a hospital bed in 2017 where I had a major anxiety attack at work which crippled me to the point where they thought my appendix had ruptured and it was at that low point on the other side of the world from friends and family where I realised enough is enough. This company um, has promised me protection countless times and now my own physical health, not only mental health, has really taken a tumble for the worst. And that was the point where I had to leave. Mm. And how long into your, how long were you actually working there at this point before you decided to leave? Three and a half years. Three and a half pure years. Pure commitment. Um, you know, I was super successful. I was on every post and every magazine. You know, I was volunteering time to go around the 32 other companies on this large oil and gas construction site, helping and mentoring their other staff to create this culture. And I felt like a fraud. I would put my mask on every morning or hide behind my mascara shield and go and be this strong, resilient female, helping everyone else with their, their mental health and referring people on to um, Oz Health Foundation, which I'm lucky enough to do work with now. But, you know, I, I was literally um, just felt like a fraud. And I take that mask off when I got home at night and I was just a quivering mess, um, developed symptoms close to PTSD where I was having nightmares. And my bully not only threatened to obviously get me sacked, but I was on a visa so I was frightened not only I would be pushed out of my company, but pushed out of the country I'd built a home in. And also frightened that if I left, someone I cared about would end their life with no management support. Mm. So, so yeah, so your role then, you were actually an advocate and you were actually helping people with some of the guys there and stuff with mental health issues. Yeah. And so, you, so run through what your main role was and um, just give us a little bit more info on like the people you were helping and stuff and 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 you know how kind of commonplace was it for guys to come to you and stuff like that if you give you the yeah. mind so when I first started as HR I spent the first six months just building relationships so when I mobilized for the project I was in charge of um recruiting every person that came through that project went through an induction run by me where I was kind of talk around uh, mental health I threw a few slides together um, I really wanted to draw on my youth work background to bring kind of a culture and relationship focus and through my research in that first six months you know there was it was confirmed that there was a stigma reported mental health to management and HR in particular. So I fought really hard to change my position title to culture coordinator. And that kind of took the stigma away. Same position, just doing the extra culture work. And we also then partnered with a lot of other organisations where we would bring people in and also um, raise a lot of money for Oz Health Foundation, who um, do a lot of work in suicide intervention and prevention. So I, what I did was I built relationship with the workforce so they could trust me and I also developed um, kind of strategies that the mental health wouldn't have to go through the supervisors and managers they could use like a buzzword or call me there and I could then refer them directly on to the mental health providers to provide that support that took a lot of pressure off people because men in particular don't want to talk about their relationship issues or you know some of them had drug addiction alcohol which they were drug and alcohol tested at random. So people needed to have a confident person, um, like confidence in a person that could help them. And I did establish myself as that. You know, I was known throughout the whole job site and I was frequent, frequently called to speak at CEO conferences in oil and gas. And that's why it came as a shock to everyone when I eventually broke my silence. But it was also worked against me because I was so frightened of 
kind of showing what was really happening to me because I thought it could potentially break trust. If people, I was able to be a high functioning person that suffered with mental health behind the scene. I didn't want to show vulnerability and that eventually led to me laying in a hospital bed. If only I had, I had so many relationships with mental health experts and the people on the project no one's seen it come in. So that's why my message is super important that people can still be high achievers, you know, in the media, sports, prof- sports professionals, you know, celebrities. But behind that kind of mask, you can just be a, a mess. Mm. Yeah, it's mind blowing. Actually, I only found out recently that the leading cause of death, pretty much, if I've got this right, correct me if I'm wrong, is, is now suicide pretty yeah. much in young adults and also the leading cause of disability in young adults now this is like a global thing now especially in westernized countries you know uk us and australia um it's the leading disability of it's a lead it's the leading disability now in adults mental health and that surpasses all you know physical problems you know diabetes chronic illness so it's on the rise and as i said it, it is an epidemic now and there still is a lot of stigma attached to it more so with men though as you say but that's not to say there's not stigma attached to women as well but as i've talked about to the listeners before i actually experienced my own issues with mental health problems as well when i was younger this is probably going back like seven or eight years went on for a good year and a half and i had uh depression really it started off as anxiety because um it was like a an obsessive thought pattern which is actually more common than what i thought it was it was they they said it was like intrusive thoughts and it was stemmed from potentially like a bereavement that i went through when i was younger who knows exactly how it came about um there's other pressures which could cause it but i had that problem and it was you know it was it was, it was horrible but thankfully as i've said before in this podcast i had my mum and my sister who i'm really close with and i actually talked about it and i think that is so important to actually speak up to just to actually talk to anyone about even if it's going for a coffee with someone like whether it's a close mate or a family member just one person i think is so important and that definitely helped me get through it i was on the verge of of taking antidepressants at one point and i didn't end up doing it i've kind of kind of fought it off i just thought it would be it would be a bad idea to do it and then luckily i had some cbt then as well we'll we'll talk uh, a bit more about different behavioral methods uh, behavioral methods and stuff soon because i read that uh, some of that in your book but yeah cbt really helped me as well seeing a, a counselor and doing the cognitive behavioral therapy and yeah and then and then you know i got through it and and then uh, i'm sure it made me stronger as a person afterwards but most people are not fortunate enough to, to 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 pull through it like that and i just wanted to talk a bit more about your experience with depression and anxiety and you said you were with that company for three years at what point did the depression and anxiety kick in i know you said you were hospitalized but yeah it's hard really for me to kind of put my my finger on the exact time it happened because i suppressed it for so long and being the person I am, I was kind of like on this outside, this fun, bubbly party girl of the weekend. So for me, kind of, and only now I'm really conscious of looking back of how I managed that. Like on the weekend, I'd work, I'd finish on a Saturday afternoon and I would literally grab a glass of wine and then go out on a Saturday night, you know, in Darwin, it's a pretty party scene. But I would always um, kind of use alcohol massively Um and without knowing at the time that really what I was doing, you know, just going out partying and drinking and Sunday, I would dread, I would dread Sunday morning because not only was I hangover, you know, it was the hangover anxiety of suffering another work work week of that kind of abuse. And I used to work a month on a week off. So I kind of would like fill my cup up on that week off <coughs> um, using kind of like meditation, mindfulness and different strategies for me. Um, I think the anxiety... <coughs> for me really started to kick in when I knew it affected my relationships in my life so I know that my parents would ask me you know how's work going and I would lie to them because I didn't want to worry my parents you know even as an adult my mum on the other side of the world and my dad they would be stressed worried sick and I felt like I was being a hard person to be around because when you are going through some of some of that (coughs) mental health 
and um, <clears throat> stress, you kind of like project onto people as well. Mm. And I was living in a shared house and, you know, in my book, you'll see that I said thank you to Sarah and Ryan, who are my housemates. And, you know, I take my hat off to them because I was cons consistently either really happy because I was putting on a front or being really average, you know, crying, talking about work. Like when you're consumed by so much hate and negativity, it kind of brings you you completely down. Mm. Um, and, you know, I spiraled to the point where I was um, what I call in fight or flight consistently. So I was all day, every day retracing my steps. I had a lot of physical symptoms, which were um, at one point I had RSI, repetitive strain injury in my hand. Now I can pinpoint it was probably because of my extensive workload and stress. Mm. I was a regular at the medical center on the job site where I'd have aches, pains, backache, neck pain. And at the time I had no knowledge that the physical effects of bullying had really physically were just playing havoc with me, mm. my gut health. Mm. Like looking back now, I am pretty lucky touch wood. I don't have any gut issues, but I documented my, my emotions and feelings and I journal. So for three and a half years, when I finally opened up them journals to write my book, I didn't know I was writing towards a book, but like my gut health was a serious issue. I was constantly cramping pain and stress related. And, you know, there was a lot of other things where, I don't I didn't have an eating disorder, but you know, at times I was unable to kind of eat due to stress, or I would overeat. So I think um, the gym, I'd either be completely unable to function. Some weekends I would stay in bed all weekend, or um, or other times I would become obsessed with the gym. Like my weight would fluctuate, probably ten kilos throughout the time, and I was just kind of like over. Um, over obsessed with the gym over obsessed with watching my diet like a control mechanism or just like binge eating not going to the gym alcohol so I went through different stages and at some points the bullying was really unbearable but then other times you know when he had a warning I reported it 32 times and 30, 32 times it had mixed results mainly failed promises mainly warnings small warnings here he'd ease off me for a bit you know it would just be the nasty glaring stares and to the point where you know even being in the same room as a person um I'm an energy healer now that's one of the great things that I found throughout the bullying I trained to be a Reiki energy healer and now I know even being in that toxic work environment like even being in this guy's company literally made my skin crawl to the point where I would constantly be stressed retracing looking around me and um, yeah, look, it's just, there's just so many different points where physical, mental health, just, I've got a long list yeah, of yeah. things that like happened to me and, you know, the PTSD, the, the nightmares. Yep. You know, it sounds horrible, but you know, my bully was not only bullying me all day long, he was like in my bed with me. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, I just couldn't get the image and the stress of not knowing whether I'd have a job and the visa the next day. And um, yeah, that was just a real hard and anxiety to the point where, you know, having a major anxiety attack. But sometimes I would feel it coming on and I'd run to the toilet mm. and I'd hide and I'd try and take deep breaths. And I would think I am going to die. Yeah, like full blown like, panic attacks. Full blown. And, you know, I, it was just, I think, yeah, that one where they put me in a hospital bed where they thought my appendix had ruptured. Like yeah, that. goes to show what it does though, isn't it, right? So when you're mentally run down, or I should just say when you're mentally low and depressed, anxious, there's a huge link. You mentioned gut health then. I always say, I always talk about this, but the uh, the link between the gut and the mind is crazy that some of the studies coming out are showing that, you know, that the gut is almost like the first brain now, right? They used to call it the second brain, but, yeah. you know, over 20 hormones, 20 different hormones are producing the gut and serotonin you know which is responsible for mood and appetite is 90 percent of that roughly is producing the gut <clears throat> so there's a huge link between gut health alone but what, what i can identify with is how it makes you feel in terms of exercise and nutrition what i what i would like to just talk about briefly is it only recently i started connecting the dots whereas how much of a big part nutrition plays in as i was just talking about then the link between the gut and the brain and all these other factors which come into it with nutrition and what you put into your body and how that makes you feel mentally. So I actually started, I didn't realize this until recently that I was actually towards the end of when I was having the CBT and stuff, 
Um, it, what, that was just one little thing that kind of helped me manage my thoughts, but it, that definitely wasn't the thing that helped me get through it because a lot of people I've had like message me on Instagram, like, oh, you, you know, like certain people who are going through it, they're like, you don't really know what it is, depression, rah, 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 because, you know, like you don't just get through it like that, you know, without having, you know, more kind of professional help or, or medical assistance or whatever. And it was like, when I look back, that I changed my nutrition. I was starting to actually eat healthier. And it's only recently I've noticed this. Now, um, I used to eat a lot of dairy, a lot of processed foods, gluten. And when I cut dairy out, um, I used to get lots of chest infections. Now, when I was uh, mentally struggling, I used to get ill all the time. I used to have like chest infections reoccurring all the time. And I used to really struggle with that. And I used to just be generally just run down, right? Because obviously your mind's working overtime all the time. And, you know, you're having all these negative thoughts and obviously your brain is the governor really, right? That controls everything else. So I was feeling really down with it. And then only when I look back now, I realized that I was actually starting to eat healthier. I was starting to eat more vegetables. I cut dairy out because someone said to me, you know, these problems you get with your chest, it could be dairy. And I laughed at them at first. And then when I started reducing it, that started improving a lot. And it was all kind of at the same time. It was hard to say exactly what helped, but it just goes to show, I'm sure nutrition played a massive part in that. Some of the foods I eliminated and the vegetables, I was eating more vegetables and stuff like that. And I was really honing in more on that side of uh, health because I was always training. Even when I was um, low, uh, training was a temporary fix for me. You know, it wasn't, it wasn't fixing me for good, obviously, but I'd feel great after training, obviously the endorphins. And with endorphins as well, just to explain to the listeners, um, endorphins is like a neurochemical in the brain. And recently I've found that actually it plays a big part in other neurochemicals as well, like dopamine, which is the excitable hormone, makes you feel great. You know, it's the pleasure hormone, they call it. And it actually helps release more dopamine. So it, the endorphins themselves do have a really positive effect on your on your mental state, but also it triggers off the release of all these other chemicals, all these other feel-good chemicals. So you know, exercise and nutrition play a huge, huge part in um, you optimizing your health, really. Also, you know, um, sleep as well. I don't know how you, I'd just like to talk a little bit more about that, how you were getting on. You said you were having nightmares and stuff. Um, obviously, that was impacting your sleep and stuff. So um, you sleep, I guess your sleep pattern was a bit out of the, at yeah. your worst, yeah? Well, yeah. So I was getting up at 3.30 a.m. in the morning. So I was going to the gym four till five every morning to get mm. on the oil and gas before sunrise, which mm. was an hour out of the main city I was staying at. So I wasn't um, a kind of intelligent to how important sleep is, yeah. uh, you know, at the time. And yeah, look, I was limited sleep. I was having restful, horrible night sleeps. I was running on empty fuel, trying mm. to kind of over-exercise as well at every opportunity. And yeah, sleep is a massive thing. Like I really prioritize that. I've, you know, even though I jump on massive stages around the world and do, re react and relive my experience day in, day out. And, you know, some days I, my phone will ring at night, as an example, and trigger me massively because he used to ring me at night and question really? me. Wow. Yeah, so now, and, you know, if I'm dealing with a certain kind of client or customer that's a bit challenging, I need to sit back and say, you know, I'm, I'm okay um, because I can get this anxiety that can cripple me and I do break out in a large rash all over my face as well, which is a direct result. So at night, I'm kind of really valuing like my downtime because as you know, when you run your own business, you can't just clock off after mm. the nine till five. You're constantly having emails, questions and my sleep is affected by that. If I receive, you know, a call late at night or an email, I can, without even consciously doing it, like spiral Mm. and it can affect my sleep so um, I'm trying to kind of stay away from the technology and that's a whole mm. other conversation yeah, at night definitely, sure. um, to try and really value my sleep time and that's um, be mindful of a morning as well I know mm. we're laying in bed and the first thing we want to do is lean and grab our phone check social media which again puts us on a back foot mm -hmm. constantly comparing ourselves to other and you know that just really kind of like taking the first couple of hours of each morning to do my gratitude and morning meditation and mindfulness mm -hmm. to set myself up for a day that if life is going to throw something or a challenging person is going to come into my life which often happens you know as in the world of business that I aren't I am that I'm well equipped so I kind of don't let the anxiety rule the day you know and mm. 
a big thing I say to myself and I have to go to the gym of a morning and I'm sure you see me mm-hmm. on the treadmill. Yeah. Um, I need to do my morning exercise and that is for one thing and I call it to control the bitch in the attic because yeah. if I don't exercise and move my body, um, which I think is a massive thing for re- releasing the stress and tension, if I don't exercise, I kind of always find that my day isn't as great. Mm. So either, you know, yoga or anything of a morning, like that's my time. And I'm really productive that day once I've kind of just had a, like that hit mm. of feeling good each morning. Great. Yeah, I call it the uh, little bitch voice, right? Because, you know, that yeah. voice that kind of deters you away from doing the things which are going to make you feel good, right? Because yeah. they're, we always make them out to be more challenging than they are, right? Getting up is the hardest thing. Getting out of bed. And I'm glad you said that. You touched on some great points there. Talking about, I'd say this pretty much every episode now, but um, it's something I, I made a conscious effort to stop doing around about a year ago, is going on your phone as soon as you wake up in the morning, right? Now, don't get me wrong. Sometimes I'll do it, but it's very rare. Actually, I, I don't do it anymore because my phone's the other side of the room. And like we, literally every episode, the last few episodes we talked about this, but I really want to hammer it home because getting up in the morning, going on your phone, whether you're going on social media is probably the worst thing, as you said, because even if it's subconscious, right, people don't realize they're doing it. You're comparing yourself to other people, right? And um, social comparisons, again, that's another conversation, right? But it's been proven that over time that does change the way your brain's wired. And, you know, we're already insecure by nature anyway, humans, you know. Um, to do that sometimes can cement in those insecurities by comparing yourself to a world which isn't necessarily real. It's really not a real world, Instagram, right? But even if you're going on your phone to look at emails, it only takes, as you said, it only takes one trigger. It could take one trigger and then boom, you're going to release those stress hormones, cortisol, wherever it is. And like you said, it put you on the back foot. And I'm glad you talked about gratitude. I'd like to talk a little bit more about that because I, gratitude is my, the main thing. I, I get up in the morning, I do a few mobility moves, like literally five, 10 minutes, just some yoga moves. So, um, yeah, so I do I do like five minutes yoga moves. Uh, sorry, I was smashing the table then just for the listeners. Um, I gotta stop doing that. No, I just do a few little mobility moves and I do my gratitude. So I'll do I'll just write down ten things I'm grateful for. Meditation I need to do more of. I, I dip in and out of that. And because I've done it the one and off now for a good few years, I'm by far an expert in that field. Mm-hmm. However, I do find it a really effective tool now just to be able to focus on your breathing just to sit there and just, obviously you're gonna get thoughts coming in and out, especially when you first start doing it, but just to be be persistent with that and actually just take deep breaths. We, yeah. we it's, it's one of the best tools, um, focusing on your breathing and breathology, whatever you wanna call it, whether it's to help you go to sleep or to manage stress, it's something we take for granted, just like we do with sleep. You know, We think sleep is just something that happens and you can just stay on your phone until just before you go to bed and just crash out and expect to have a perfect, great, good quality yeah. sleep. It doesn't work like that. And even if you don't feel like, um, if you feel like, oh, you know, I go to bed and I sleep great, I sleep straight through, I don't wake up, but it doesn't necessarily mean you're having a great sleep because being on your phone until late is, you know, you, you put, you're keeping yourself in that stress state and you're not winding down enough. So yeah, talk to us anyway, a little bit more about the gratitude you practice in the mornings. Yeah, um, yeah, just on the meditation as well. Also, I think like as a society, we expect that we need to be like in an om lotus position to be doing meditation. Like for me personally, um, I really find value in you know my walk to the gym. It's a ten minute walk to the gym each morning, and that's my walk in meditation where I'm not touching technology. I'm really becoming grounded in the day in the present moment, and like that is my meditation. Mm -hmm. Um, So yeah, and the gratitude is um, each morning after the gym. We're very lucky that the gym is on uh, the beach Mm -hmm. so yeah walk to the gym morning meditation which is walking meditation work out of the gym feel great and then I just sit on the beach could you beach and just like list 10 things I'm really grateful for and 10 things I'm grateful for that haven't even begun yet Mm -hmm. so I really started this where I was envisioning myself in the future which was probably around now and you know I was an author of a book which at that time I thought I could never author a book you know the the bitch in the attic where you think Mm -hmm. you can't do something imagining myself on big stages around the world which I have been imagine just really sharing my story with people and I'm grateful that my business has the opportunity to help people I'm really grateful if I can impact one person's life today even with a smile that will change a life so it doesn't have to be big things that you're grateful 
for. It can be, you know, I'm grateful I woke up this morning because some people don't wake up each day. Mm. I'm, you know, I'm grateful for my health. I think we don't value our health enough. Even if we have got a couple of compl- complications, you know, it's, you know, I'm grateful for what I have right now and how can I use what I've got to help others? And I think like the contribution is a big part of gratitude as well. Mm. Seeing, you know, what skills or what can I give to someone else because giving is living. Mm-hmm. So. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more with that. And with the meditation stuff as well, you said walk in meditation. Yeah. So just, I'm glad you touched upon that as well, talking about how simple meditation really is. Don't get me wrong, I'm not saying it's easy. Easy and simple are different. But it's simple if you can just practice a minute or two of, like you said, it doesn't even have to be sitting there, zen, focusing on your breathing. It can just be walking, right? It can just yeah. be walking and just not going on your phone and just taking in nature, maybe, yeah? Yeah. Yeah, look, walking's a massive <clears throat> one. And I think this is a key thing for connecting with family members and partner, spouse, you know, friends. For me personally, I love doing the Bondi to Could You Walk, but not love everyone can do that. Um, but I really take that time out to connect with my fiancé and, like, you know, how are you? What's things? What's going on in work? Because at the end of the day, you know, we ask our friends and peers, like, how are you? Are you okay? And we always say, yeah, good. But like, how are you really? And I think like when we get out in nature, just go for a walk away from technology, like they are prime opportunities. And also meal times. like when I work with parents, kids come home from school. How was your day? Yeah, great. Straight on the Xbox or PlayStation or Fortnite or whatever they're doing mm. or on their phone and device. And this is a prime opportunity to kind of connect away from technology as well. You know, either go for a walk. Um, they'll probably mourn about it a couple of times, but yeah. routine is key. And also sit and have a mindful meal. Sit down as a family or, you know, even by yourself where you're not looking at your phone or watching the TV and just like ground yourself in that food as well i think how often do we just eat a meal mm, when we're looking at our phone point. and we and we can't even remember eating that meal because we've just kind of slammed it in really mm, quick so our mind is just distracted with our iphone most of the time 100 oh, percent. so i kind of like think that is a key point as well you know so you don't have to be there meditating where you're silent or clear in the mind it's just like every activity you do just be mindful in that moment yeah great and you, i'm glad you touched upon that as well about eating mindful eating because that's something I've really practiced recently. It's been over maybe the last six to 12 months. I've really, I'm, I'm re- that's one thing I'm really rigid with. Um, I do not go on my phone when I'm eating my food. Now, I do listen to a podcast most of the time, which is something that, that, that even that becomes a little bit of an addiction. Now, don't get me wrong. I highly recommend podcasts, obviously. Yeah. But even that becomes, you can overdo anything like that because it's still a distraction. It might be a minor distraction. It's not like looking at a screen when you're eating, mm. but... You know, there's something to be said about that because there's, we're always, especially in these countries, we're always kind of on the move. We're rushing everywhere. The busy lives we have nowadays, technology's coming at us, coming us from all angles. People are on the move and eating. And then even when most of us sit down and most people sit down, they're looking at their phone or watching a YouTube video or messaging people back. And it's completely mindless. And, you know, talking about just your health and digestion, you know, chewing your food is a massive, massive part of digestion. You know, your body, even in your saliva, there's certain enzymes which which act on breaking down food and helping you absorb the nutrients properly. And not only that, um, it, it, it makes you realize when you actually just focus on chewing your food and simple things like that, that there, is, I think, is a, is a form of mindfulness and meditation. But it also makes you more aware of how you just sometimes inhale your food because you're um, you're distracted with other things, but yeah. So just um, just to kind of summarise, then I guess just for any anyone out there now, I'm sure there'd be a few people listening to this who may have experienced someone who's experienced either mental health issues or bullying or something within that arena. It could be them. It could be someone they know. Firstly, bullying. How, what would be the first step for someone um, who is experiencing? you know, some form of bullying, whether it's in work. Let's just talk about the work environment first. Yeah. So the first step is to kind of identify that the behavior is not okay. Mm -hmm. Um, Often when people are bullied, it's by their manager. So they, for me, I felt completely trapped. I I didn't know where to get help for one. And I was too frightened to get external help in case I lost my job. So what I have put is um, resources on bullyology.com and helplines. Um, There's lots of blogs there um, where they can guide parents or anyone in the workplace to get this support. Um, it's a it's a key thing because you feel so alone and especially um you know mental health. We there's so many options out there and different 
advice, I kind of was overwhelmed. So I've tried to consume it all. And I've got um, helplines for Australia, UK, US, Canada, for around the world. So I'm lucky enough to have partners globally that if I can't help you and I know when I go on podcasts, people say that I'm the expert and I do call myself the bullyologist, but you know, I don't have the answer to everything. And the lucky thing for me is I do partner with amazing organizations, um, including Oz Health Foundation in Australia, which um, are great for mental health in particular. Um, so identify that the bullying is not okay and reach out and find out your rights. Um, it's important to have a look at the workplace policies and procedures um, because, you know, Workplaces can have policies and procedures, but unless they implement and act upon them, they literally are a piece of paper. Um, so look, once you've done that, you just really need to find out like the process for reporting bullying. And please don't be alarmed if your your bullying claim goes absolutely nowhere because... HR professionals are not going to like me saying this, but ideally the HR professionals do work for the company and the organisation, so they'll do everything in their power to kind of protect the organisation. And that was a hard pill for me to swallow, I guess, because I reported it and I know my HR manager was my bullying, but people come to me and say all the time, I reported it to HR, and sometimes they unfortunately do lose their job. Um, But, you know, you need to find out where to get help and don't just stay in an organization and end up in a hospital bed like me if the bullying isn't stopping you're not going to help you need your mental and physical health is needs to be your top priority and you need to get out to there because some organizations just don't want to deal with the big elephant in the room and you know you can fight a long hard battle and a lot of people that I deal with have got PTSD to the point where they're unable and they're so traumatized they can't return to the workforce Mm. So it's, you know, there's there's a lot of resources out there and I think I've put them onto my website for parents as well. I'll add that into the show notes anyway. That's great advice and great guidance for people. On the flip side, that's what I wanted to ask you. I wanted to ask you about, um, you know, obviously we live in a world nowadays as well on the flip side of that where... A lot of people are much more sensitive. Like people are more sensitive than ever nowadays, as well, right? On the on the on the contrary, if you like, right? So, also, you know, people kind of entitlement as well. How do you? Because like, there's got to be somewhere where you draw the line because you must get at the same time people who milk it a bit, so to speak, right? So they kind of play on it and they make a big deal out of it. So. I mean, I don't mean to be thing about this because I know a lot of people have, and like yourself, and I'm not not disrespecting that, but you must get sometimes people who kind of, you know, they're being too sensitive or, you know, they're, they're, t- they're perceiving things a certain way. You know what I mean? So yeah. how do you draw the line is what I meant to ask you. And that's why it's a big conversation to um, really disclose what it is in bullying. So I yeah. work with big organizations and I equip their managers with like the intelligence to understand um, early intervention of knocking it on the head when it isn't bullying. Yeah. Um, I've, you know, been manager in five positions um, mm-hmm. where there are, are employees that will milk the system mm-hmm. in particular. And it's having the skills and knowledge how to quash them conversations and kind of provide the coaching they need. And it's a big topic for parents as well. You need to build resilient youths. Um, so, you know, if they are, do have an argument with a friend, you know, it's not bullying. You understand how to overcome that and how to like go through life's up and ups and downs. And I think in the workplace as well, it's important to provide that education around um, resilience, I guess. Mm. But yeah, it is a big topic. And people often say to me, you know, were you being bullied? Like for me personally, mm-hmm. I, it was passed off as a personality clash to a point where I thought, was I overreacting? And that's where people um, often feel as well that they could be perceived like they're overreacting. Yeah. And there are sensitive people. And, yeah, of you know, course. We just re- really need to know how to provide that support for those people. Mm. But there's not a one-size-fits-all fit answer no, to that. that's why you've got like all these organizations which yeah. are helping you. Exactly, yeah. exactly. Yeah. No, I just want, um, and, and then just, um, I was going to say something then before we kind of uh, kind of wrap this up. I was just going to say, oh, I've kind of lost my trailer for now. You were talking about, what were you saying just then at the end? <laughs> um, saying, equipping people to be 
So I'll just touch quickly on um, emotional intelligence within the workplace. I think it's yeah. an important topic of um, when people get promoted within work, um, they could become bullies by default. And I want the listeners to be really mindful of this. When people move into power positions, there's a lot more pressure. Mm-hmm. You've got to manage people, not just your own workload. And this is a big topic that um, people need to be mindful of, I guess, Um for me personally, the supervisors with, I was working with, some of them became bullies because they were promoted from the tools app and they didn't know how to manage people. So I know a lot of your listeners kind of will be in workplaces where someone they work with has automatically turned into a bully, potentially. Yep. Um, and it's important to have these conversations as well to kind of equip them, you know, for any managers listening mm. and for parents to have this conversation. Kids can automatically become bullies as they move into different friendship groups. Um, so there's no one size fits all bully. Mm. Good people can be bullies online. Mm. And I know we touched a little bit about technology. Mm. You know, I see it all the time. Um, your favorite sports stars or athletes will post something up or if they have a bad game, good people become bullies because they target them with online hate mm. uh, especially reality tv mm. you know we see a lot of stuff around love island yeah, yeah i don't watch all of that crap but you know people are losing lives because they're being online bullied yeah, yeah. so it's important for adults listening to this you know don't jump behind your keyboard and become a bully yourself mm. you know there's so many different that, that can happen yeah no and, and we could do that there's a whole that's a whole nother conversation about social media and online mm. that's a whole nother world right so yeah. Yeah, that, 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 that can be another conversation. But yeah, you must get some pushback. That's what I was going to ask you. So um, just briefly, surely, you, like you mentioned then quickly, that you, you know, some people say whatever they say and you get some pushback, right? Um, so how, how, do you, how do you actually deal with that then? Because you must still get that today, right? Because obviously, yeah. as you said, there's so many people out there now who want to, they're quick to, you know, throw their opinion in and try and shoot someone down, right? So Yeah, 100%. So for me, obviously, breaking my silence, I'd gone from... Um, being this person that I created to kind of peeling off the mask and going on social media as a bully victim. And um, yeah, and so obviously, like for me, people say to me, I call myself the bullyologist. They're like, who are you to kind of talk around this topic? Mm -hmm. And when I actually stepped into the bullying space, like any industry, there are bullies within the bullying space. I'm sure Mm -hmm. in the fitness industry, there are certain people that just want to drag you down. Whether you're in a workplace or school or any kind of industry, there are going to be them people that drag you down. And for me personally, I kind of was second like second guess question myself you know retrace my steps but the only thing that I was doing was being a good person and there are people that are extremely negative and the more successful you become unfortunately the more they become jealous and Mm. want to drag you down and that's exactly what happened in my bullying incident so I've kind of like realize that and as I grow massively and you know my business is growing at a tremendous rate I've written a book there's some people that want to kind of still bring me down or ride up on my wave and I kind of have had to realize that the more successful you became sometimes you just outgrow people and if then people are adding no value to your life anymore unfortunately you know I can't continue them relationships whether they're like colleagues or within business or friendship groups um and yeah I think it's an important topic to know you know especially back back home in Wales people have kind Mm. of like you know, I don't have any issues with anyone, but yeah. people are like... I can a, imagine back home in Wales, yeah, like yeah, in, a, in Australia, you know, yeah. She's, yeah, yeah. You know, and people don't, in them small communities, talk about mental health because everyone's, um, everyone's too worried about what other people would think of them. Then all of a sudden I kind of, I'm meant to be living the dream on social media, you know, how it creates the perfect life. Yeah, what has she said. got to worry about, earning good money, living in this beautiful place? And the minute I broke it, you know, people were shocked. You know, they know me very well. I was confident, bubbly. And a lot of people have said to me, you're making yourself unemployable. You need to stop. That just only drove me further on my mission. I thought, oh, oh crap. Maybe I have. I need to succeed. Yeah, now you've got to prove them wrong. Yeah. Yeah. You always always get people hating, but obviously that's just a direct projection. That's like what people need to realize who are listening. You know, when someone says something negative or if they're hating on you, it's normally just a direct, it's just a projection of their insecurity and something that they're missing in their life and a lot of the time you've got something they want that's the bottom line whether that's a personality trait or whatever it is could be anything so that's normally the case but yeah um, finally I just wanted to ask you what your top tips and tricks are for 
basically maintaining good health. I'll just say to the listeners quickly, I always talk about the big rocks, the four pillars of health, right? Focus on the fundamentals, sleep, exercise, nutrition, and relationships, right? Or social community, whatever that is. And you mentioned then about um, surrounding yourself with certain people. Now you need to have the right people around you. That's everything, right? So, um, yeah, so that's like my little thing. As I always say to the listeners, the big rocks are the ones you want to focus on, whether your goal is to look better, feel better, perform better, or hopefully all three of those, then those are the things you want to focus on. Forget about all the stuff, um, the pebbles, such as, you know, what, what vitamins am I taking and blah, blah, blah. Focus on those four things mainly. Yeah, so give us your, and obviously I just yeah. wanted to say quickly, we said about the, the absolute game changer for me was was gratitude. Yeah. So I need to focus more on meditation and that has helped whenever I get stressed. Over Most of the time, 99% of the time, whatever we get stressed about doesn't really matter anyway in the grand scheme of things. So, um I just take deep breaths, six deep breaths, and just by focusing on that breathing, it helps me calm down, lowers my heart rate, and just that simple method has helped me a lot. So that is like a little form of meditation, but the gratitude has completely changed my perspective on life, 100%. I've been doing it for well over a year now, and um, I genuinely think that I appreciate things a lot more now instead of expecting things. So that's uh, that's my take. What's your take on on uh, yeah. helping people with the health? Um, so... The, probably the top things that I need to do daily to maintain my mind, body, and spirit, I guess, is um, move my body 100%, get up, go for a walk, go to the gym, kind of really just shake my body. Mm-hmm. Um, it's massive, you know, and yoga is a big part of my life where before I just wasn't very flexible and didn't enjoy it. So like anything, repetition is the mother of all skill, I guess, or Absolutely. whatever the saying is. No, no. So just practice it and, you know, even going to the gym, before it was a massive chore for me and the kind of you just have to find something that you enjoy mm. um so yeah obviously the gym and i know you like that let one. me ask you about that real quick so you said that how did you start enjoying it is that because now you have a different perception on things now and you yeah. you're doing it to take care of yourself rather than just whereas before you were doing it early in the morning when you were in your stressed state and you were yeah. doing it why were you doing it then firstly was that just to feel better um mentally yeah look for me i kind of um, have to work out in the morning and I think I kind of like detach for the outcome and this is only something I've been doing you know you always look at Instagram models and want to be like perfect and mm. you know if I wasn't the best in the gym or whatever like oh you know just you just put so much pressure on yourself the minute I kind of like detach from the outcome like if I get up and I don't want to go to the gym because I'm tired mm-hmm. I just go for a walk or like just literally be grateful for like waking up mm-hmm. and moving my body. I kind of like some days I'll just walk to the city and back. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, Still like, exercise isn't yeah, it? walking exactly. and getting outside. Yeah, you know, if we think Key. we're not, you know, yeah, and yoga I didn't see as an exercise before. And I was like, if I'm not sweating, I'm not working hard enough, that's complete rubbish, mm. you know. And let me just say on that note, right? I can guarantee you 95% minimum of the people listening to this need to do more yoga, right? Because most of us hate doing it, right? You know, like you said, then I found yeah. it really challenging. I do it occasionally, but more so I focus on the, those kind of movements. I do it in my own time now, yoga, mobility stuff. But um, going to a yoga class maybe once a week, right? Most people need to do that because you're teaching your body the opposite of everything we experience most things we experience day to day is stress related and it's always you know go 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 yoga teaches your body the opposite it teaches your body to relax in your nervous system so it sends the signal that you need right because we it's an art now to relax so i just wanted to say to listeners you probably need to do more of that (laughs) um yeah and look yin yoga is my preferred one which is more stretch yoga you're in the positions kind of stretching and my partner when i asked him to come to yoga first he was like oh no not for me Uh, but now it's it's a massive part he goes to yoga once a week does his stretching he reckons he lifts better so um yeah. yeah so i think it's like it's an important point to do yeah. um so yoga you know as much i can do that a week even once a week is just great i do it on a monday morning at the beach oh great um there's a free group there if anyone's in oh, country really? monday morning yeah 6 15 up on the hill really yeah okay. so um we we go there and do that yoga each um so if anyone wants to come to that just drop me great way up. to start the week yeah and look and doing that um yoga practice we kind of have a word for the week and i do that whatever i'm doing and each morning i wake up and as part of my gratitude i say like what is my word for today and it can even be like gratitude calm clarity forgiveness mm-hmm. like forgiveness is a big thing for me because i couldn't go forward in what i'm doing with still the hate in my heart mm-hmm. even though this person inflicted so much pain on me 
you know, I, I wasn't going to achieve anything with the hatred. So a big thing I say is forgiveness removes fear. So sometimes I just kind of like energetically send love and light to all the people that have kind of like shaped my path, mm-hmm. I guess. Um, and also um, networking, that's a big part of my everyday survival, I guess. So, you know, they do say the, the people, the top five people, I think it is, you spend the yes, most time with, you become. Mm. So kind of like value my time because time is such, for all of us, is a precious gift. So time wasted, we can never get that back. So I really kind of like push myself into the social circles and whether it's holistic healing or I always like look on Facebook and meetup.com for like free events. Mm-hmm. Sometimes like completely random stuff I've never even heard of. But I push myself into uh, uncomfortable kind of zones to kind of like learn and grow as a person and you know they can be like forms of meditation or business events or various different things Mm. like I never no one told me how to build a business I kind of naturally fell into it so every day I'm kind of learning and podcasts Mm. have been a massive part of that and I make sure that I um, read by read I mean listen to audiobook or podcasts at least 30 minutes a day Mm because readers are leaders and they can be on random topics like before I would never think to pick up a podcast Mm -hmm. and listen on um, fitness because I always like oh the gym but now I'm learning about you know I've listened to your podcast like such interesting things about the body and all of a sudden I'm kind of like listening to business ones on sleep um, artificial lighting all of them things and I'm like whoa why are we not taught this at school and also financial freedom as well like how to build an online business why are we not taught this and I think podcasts I've kind of opened up a network. So they are my top things I do for well-being and keeping a sane mind. Great, great. That's awesome. Yeah, that's that's it in a nutshell then. Thanks a lot, Jess, for your time. No worries, uh, thank oh, you. Oh, one more thing. Where? So you mentioned your book. If you can run through where the listeners can find you. Yeah, and- yeah. Okay, so um, bullyology.com, on Twitter, Bullyology, on Instagram, Bullyology, Facebook, <laughs> YouTube. Um, if you want to connect with me on LinkedIn, that's where I kind of do my real business-focused articles as well. And I'm also launching my own podcast, which is called The Bullyologist. So Great. if you your listeners can jump over and check that out also. Awesome. Um, yeah, so feel free to reach out with any questions. Um, I'm sure we're going to do another podcast together. Mm-hmm. I'd like to get yeah. you on mine yeah, yeah. and really hone in on how fitness can improve our mental health as well. Definitely. But thank you so much. I'm glad we met at the gym. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> Thanks a lot, Jess.